Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 184 of the podcast with Mello Calarco. Now, for those who haven't heard of Mello, he is Mr. Mindful himself, and he lives and breathes this lifestyle. Now, I was drawn to Mello by his power of his storytelling, and I think today I just I love anyone that can tell a good story and then relate it back to a life lesson or something. But as well as that, Mello is a leading mindful meditation teacher with so many corporates, sports stars, high executives, and everything like that. And he's going to give us some simple tips and techniques today, share some wonderful stories um, of his years of traveling around the world on a mountain bike, which I absolutely love. But as well as that, just so much more. And you'll feel the same I do when I'm with Mello just his calm and that's why i call the great man mr mindful himself so guys sit back this is episode number one eight four Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I've got i reckon mel i reckon your mr mindfulness is uh is that a title you've ever had before buddy yeah, some people call me that, especially with a name like Mello. Actually, when I go introduce myself in the seminars, I say, hi, my name's Mello. I'm here to teach you some mindfulness. I get a lot of like uh, laughs and fun. Really? Your name's Mello? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, mate, and from when I've met you, mate, you are very mellow. You are very calm. I think we're a bit of yin and yang. I'm a bit out there. You're very peaceful and calm and very very nice to talk to. So I think today's chat will be awesome. Now, we met oh, it was about a month ago now at TED. Um, you're at the TEDx Docklands, and that was awesome. And from then, we caught up. We had a coffee. And, mate, I was just fascinated with the work you're doing. Um, I think it's so impactful, and particularly around the mindset stuff, that it's so important with what we're going through at the moment. And I'm not going to get too much into corona and things like that because um, mindset is something that we need every day of our life. So for people that haven't had the fortune of sitting down and picking your brain over a coffee and, and you know, spending time with you, do you want to paint a little bit of a, a picture of your background and, and who Mallow is, Mr. Mindfulness himself? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it was great to meet you at the TEDx. It was great to see your energy. It was fantastic. So um, yeah, well done on that. So. Thanks for having me on, and I'll just share some stories along the way, see, see where we go with it. So, um, I, right now, I teach mindfulness in, in my, as my professional career, I teach mindfulness and meditation, and I, I make it accessible to everybody. So, so, my goal and my mission is to make mindfulness and meditation not some hippie, you know, woo woo stuff. It's actually a real thing, and it's great for you. Do you reckon, sorry to cut you off, do you reckon people are scared of it? Do you reckon, like, when you do say, like, that hippie, woo woo, do you reckon it's got that sort of like people are a bit scared? Still have. Like if I if I said to you, you know, close your eyes for a minute and, and and paint a picture of what meditation is for you, most people come up with some sort of version of some dreadlock dude sitting <laughs> in Byron. <laughs> Byron or, or a monk or something like that. They still have this preconception that meditation is that and the uh, some sort of hippie thing. So I want to break that preconception. That's my mission is to make it accessible to everybody, to make mindfulness part of the modern world and to, you know, to help the world with it. And, and my, my twist is a bit more on performance. So I teach mindfulness for high performance. So working with CEOs, executives, uh, athletes, Olympic athletes, and it's more about how to have that positive mindset and use mindfulness and be present in your 
in your flow in whatever that is so very powerful stuff and sometimes it blows me away that a simple simple act of mindfulness can really change someone's life just i've asked the listeners today to please let go of that preconception of mindfulness and meditation being like i said sitting under a tree cross-legged and chanting om it doesn't have to be that it really doesn't you can do mindfulness you know sitting in a chair you can do it at home you can do it before you go on the sports field you can do it anytime so please from today onwards let go of that you know, idea it has to be that and it's so powerful and it's a great practice if you can just initiate even the most simple practice what i often teach in and even in the corporate seminars is what's called a 90 second breath break. So it's just 90 seconds of just stopping what you're doing or just pausing what you're doing, reconnect with your breath, take some nice deep full breaths and just reconnect to the present moment through your breath. And it doesn't take long, but that's really great because it actually deactivates the, the fight and flight response and it brings you into the present moment and activates what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So really powerful, actually, really simple practice. A 90 second breath break is enough to actually interrupt your manicness or, or unsettledness or your anxiety or at the moment all this uncertainty so it's a really good practice just to do just to pull yourself back 90 seconds connect with your breath connect with your body connect with your mind yeah Pretty simple and i think i think exactly what you just said that i know people say we're busy all the time but everyone's got 90 seconds instead of picking out your phone up for one of the 400 times a day, because each time yeah. you do that, you, you know what you waste 90 seconds scrolling and then you're like, Oh, I better get back to what I'm doing. It is very simple just to reset. And like, I think you just mentioned Mello with uncertainty at the moment that we really are living mindfully at the moment because we can only live day to day. And if we are thinking about the future too much, it is uncertain. It is scary. So you're probably right that, um, we are more mindful at the moment than ever, and we need to just be enjoying each day. Exactly, and then be grateful for the things we have around us and be present. We can always catastrophize about the what if, what if this happens, what if this happens, what if I don't have enough money, what if you know, my children you know, can't go to school in the next whatever, what if I lose my job? We can always keep catastrophizing about that. But if we can be present with what is and, and come from that place, and what is may not be the best situation right now, but it, as has changed our, our way of thinking. And what is, you're probably living in a, in a comfortable house. You're probably, you know, you've got family around you, you're bonding with your family. So really be present with what is happening now. Yeah. And not all the what if scenarios, because we, we do not know six months time from now what's going to happen and we will never know. We <laughs> actually don't need to know. No, it's, I, th I think that's really true. And um, like we we're just talking before that um, we're just saying most of our business, you know, is stopped and, and so many other people have been made redundant and everything like that. But um, looking at it as a positive, you know, that different things we're doing now, um, we're probably working more efficient. We're working smarter um, and more opportunities will come from this if you want to find opportunities. If you don't want to or be open to that, then it's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, that's right. And, and most stress comes from the it's a perception of the change so when we need to adapt and to change it's, it causes stress and some people are better at it than others but we can adapt and we could actually even take this a step further and think what if this situation is actually really good for us what if it's good for our business what if we can actually you know, adapt and change and it goes back to the good old charles darwinian theory where you know it's not the strongest that survive it's not the most intelligent that survive it's the most adaptable so it's a time to be adaptable now and adapt and change. And it's, it's, they're the ones that will come out the other end of this, actually adapting and changing and, and for the better. Yeah. And wouldn't, it be nice, wouldn't it be nice in six months' time we come out of this and appreciate every single little thing, like just going to a cafe and reading a newspaper and, yeah. and having a hug and, and getting together. It's a, 
we'll take we'll take things less for granted. I think. I think that's a really and that is a great point. That uh, one of the biggest things people that I'm noticing, particularly, there's a lot of schools around Mellow that are going into week eight or nine of online learning, and one of the things they're saying is the lack of human connection, um, yeah. that powerful interaction. We can never replace that. And I think people are going to really treasure relationships more. Um, you know, those people they do have in their life because, you know, at the moment we can't physically go and catch up with these people. Are you noticing that, mate, that you're missing people and things and just catching up? Yeah, I just saw a photo yesterday, actually, of, of my daughter holding hands with one of the best friends and I have a young eight-year-old daughter. And I thought, you know what? They can't do that anymore. I know, they can't yeah. Even hold hands. Little simple thing like that. And it's really simple. I'm, I'm a bit of a hugger. I like to hug people. I like to when I, when I connect with people. So I'm definitely missing that connection. And it's the, the human touch. We are social animals, essentially, and we do just thrive on touch and connection. And that's one thing we need. So we're definitely missing that. But... And I'm hoping, like I said, on the other end, we appreciate those things even more. Yeah. And I think that's, that is so true that uh, what you can't have is something you crave. And then when you do get it back, yeah. you can appreciate it more and you realize, geez, life is pretty good, you know, and um, we have been able to get through this tough period. So enough of coronavirus anyway, mate, because yeah. one, <laughs> it is, even though we're putting a positive spin on it, that's all I seem to hear these days. Um, one of the things I loved when we caught up is, you just taught you're a very good storyteller um what how powerful is storytelling in your business and everything you do well it comes back to experience i guess so when i'm when i'm speaking in front of people in a corporate seminar doesn't matter where it is people elicit stories out of me because it's my i, I speak from experience so um, i didn't take the classical route of uh, school and then university and all those things and i don't have um, science degree and all of those academic uh, resources although i've studied that later on in life and um, i learned my lessons from being on the road i actually cycled around the world on my mountain bike as you wow do. this is what i love mate let's talk about this this is awesome yeah and it took me about two or three years to do so and i basically circumnavigated the planet so i went around the world from asia africa india america um, europe and all over the place and just took my mountain bike actually the the lessons i learned on the road are amazing and I'll share some of them with you potentially today but I even learned the lessons before I even left actually before I left so it was about two decades ago there were six of us together in a in a lounge room together deciding to cycle around the world we had this crazy idea let's ride around the world on our mountain bikes and predominantly do it off-road that was the idea and then week by week we we're getting the maps out planning out our trip and getting our tents there's no google out. there's no google back then mate no, there's no google, <laughs> no. <laughs> Those are the maps. So we got the old Michelin maps out. You know, <laughs> we're mapping out Africa and things like that. And little by little, week by week, one person would drop off of the idea. So you know, from six of us, it turned out to be just two of us because there was a bit of fear, a bit of uncertainty. And then so there was two of us that were really going to do it. And we started getting the equipment. We got our two-man tent and our cook set and all these sort of things along the way. Did a few test runs on our bikes. And then about a month before our due date to leave that one person also dropped out on me oh so it, it was just you mate yeah so i was in the situation where i i choose to also uh, drop out because of fear or i'm going to do it on my own and go solo and you know what's the best thing i ever did was to go solo because i had the whole trip to myself and i had the space and capacity to do whatever i wanted whatever i wanted to do so that first lesson was like you know really believe in yourself and, and go for it and, and, and have a shot so then I planned the trip myself and I started doing some training runs and started 
heading out on my bike and testing out my equipment. And there's one particular incident, which I think is quite life-changing in many ways. And it's, it's probably set me up into teaching meditation today and, and why I believe so much in meditation was one particular training run. I was taking my bike out and there was, um, there was due to be a storm coming into the, into the area. So I'm going to go test out my equipment in a storm. I'm going to see what it's like in a storm. So took my bike out, packed up my bike and I didn't think it was that. It was a long weekend. So I thought I could just go camp out and there'd be a storm and it'd be fine. It turned out to be the worst storm that ever hit for like decades. <laughs> horrible situation. So, so I'll cut a long story short, but I'll, I'll you know, condense it. So I was on my bike and there was horizontal rain coming. I was in the middle of nowhere before telephones. So I didn't have a mobile phone and there was horizontal rain. It was freezing cold. It was coming on dusk and there was trees being uprooted in front of me, big gum trees, you know, massive trees and, and limbs being flying everywhere. I was in a bad situation. I thought, this is not great. So I kept riding, trying to find some place to shelter. And then suddenly a tree hit me. Big gum tree just got uprooted. Really? Hit me. Yeah, knocked me off my bike. Hit my leg. It injured my leg. I had some blood coming out of my leg. And it, it damaged my, my cook set. Hit my pannier. So the side of my bags on the side of my bike. Hit my pannier. Damaged my cook set. And it actually ripped my tent. So before I could even set up my tent, my tent was ripped. My cook set was ripped. And some of my food was all you know, damaged. So I was in a situation where I was trying to set up camp in the middle of this storm and I didn't know what to do. So um, I sheltered underneath this. There was an old like a farm, farm equipment, like an old trailer. I sheltered under there. I thought, this is it. I've got my spot. I started getting some biscuits out and started eating it. And then this big gust of wind came and actually flipped the whole trailer off me. <laughs> oh my God, this is not great. So, so in short, the world around me was chaos. There was trees being falling down around me, big limbs falling off the trees. There was wind was howling horizontal rain like I said it was freezing cold I looked at my fingers they were becoming hypothermic they were turning blue uh, and I touched my lips and they were turning blue I thought this is not a great situation and then I thought what do I do the, the world the external world around me is absolutely dangerous and scary and chaotic I have to go within and then I remembered a meditation that my Tai Chi master taught me many years ago you know to tap into your breath and to bring it down to your belly so I started doing that. I actually started to breathe. I thought, okay, I'm just going to go within and do some breaths and start counting my breaths. So I did. I started counting my breaths. One, 10, 20, 200, 300, and just kept going and going and going, counting my breath. And after a while, I noticed I was feeling warm. I noticed I was feeling quite secure inside. So I, believe it or not, I got one of those little, um, you know, those little alfoil blankets that you see in the first aid kit. <laughs> you think you're ever going to use. Never use it. No, you never use it, but I found the use for it. So I, I got one of them and I wrapped it around me and I sat down and I, and I continued to meditate and continued to tap into my breath, deep breathing. And I felt my core temperature rising and I actually even felt my, my clothes dry out. And, and after a while, I felt really warm and secure. And I don't know what happened, but this was from dusk. This was pretty much dusk all the way through to dawn. So I meditated for 12 hours. Wow. Some, somewhere in between maybe uh, two hours on. I noticed that I felt safe and secure and I went within and I sat down on the floor, wrapped around my, my uh, security blanket and I felt total peace, absolute peace. The world around me stopped, even though it was still going, I didn't hear the sounds anymore. I didn't hear the, the trees falling and I just stayed there and I felt really secure, really safe. And I must've gone into another state of mind, into those deeper states or somewhere deep in there and I went deep within. And the next thing I knew was I heard a little chirping sound in the morning like the birds in the morning and it was 6 a.m in the morning or 7 a.m and i thought ah, the sun's coming out the storm subsided and i got out of it i thought wow 
I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm here, I felt safe, I felt secure. And that really instilled in me that no matter what is happening around you, you can always find that stillness within. Always, no matter wow. what. And that's a good example of what's happening now. Yeah, actually. that's what, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you as you're going, but yeah. that exactly what you're just saying, Mallow, is you can't control anything going on, but, um, you know, you are able to control one thing and that is yourself. And that's, I think everyone's got that choice at the moment. What I want to know is when everything like is going on, you're going blue. What made yeah. you, what made you just think I'm, I'm going to start breathing? Was it because you knew the benefits of it and you trained in it or because I could imagine like to, to just try something like that. I suppose you didn't really have many other options, I'm guessing. No, no, I had to go within. Like I said, the external world around me was chaos, absolute disorder. And my tent was damaged, my cook set was damaged. Uh, there was no chance of trying to set up anything. I did give it a shot. I tried to do things, but it was just so windy and so messy. So my only choice was that. And I've been practicing meditation and, and mindfulness for 30 years. I originally entered through martial arts, through Tai Chi and through other practices. So and I always found that that strength within is the key to everything. We need to find that inner, inner trust, really. It's about trust. Because obviously around me, there's fear and disorder and chaos. And I needed to get on the other side of that. And there's a good old saying that says, on the other side of fear, there is trust. So I had to have absolute trust that this technique is going to work, that this technique, I didn't know exactly how long it would take, but I was counting my breaths. Every now and again, my mind would go back outside and start hearing the sounds again. So I'd go back to counting again. And I was probably in the thousands, you know, 1,000, wow. 2,000. And then I'd be able to center myself again, ground myself again, and the noise outside would dissipate again. I find that center and I felt I honestly felt totally safe totally secure warm and cozy inside myself so the technique is you know a simple breathing technique really it's nothing you know, too scientific but it you know deactivates the parasympathetic sorry activates the parasympathetic nervous system which is the opposite of fight and flight and it brings you into a relaxation response so yeah, I was in that's... a deep relaxation Mate, that's, I, I absolutely love that. And I know what you just said there is a lot of things that people say when they are starting to meditate, that if your mind wanders, that is fine. That's, that is completely normal, you know? And it's like, if you lose concentration, you don't just give up. You're not very good at this. You know, you go, right, I'm going to go back and you try again and you try again. It's like, it's like learning to ride a bike or a new language. You don't just give up when you can't get it straight away. And I think too many people are, like do that with meditation. Yeah, they do. And I, I see that as a common barrier. I've tried it before, but my mind wanders too much. And guess what? That's what the mind does. The mind thinks. <laughs> Basically, it's a sensory organ. The mind thinks. So it's a bit like saying, can you stop seeing right now? You know, can you stop with your eyes open? Can you stop seeing? Or can you stop hearing right now? It's what the ears do. They hear. The eyes see. And the mind thinks. Yep. So it's a matter of not, obviously, with you know, there's, there's practices and, and concepts that come with mindfulness, but it's a matter of not attaching to those thoughts not following those thoughts, the thread of those thoughts, and just come back to yourself. Acknowledge that you've had a thought and, and acknowledge maybe what that thought is. It might be planning or problem solving or thinking about future. It might be something like that. Acknowledge it, but don't follow the thread because then it becomes a thought and then you start thinking and you might even get anxious about thinking and then it becomes this whole you know, battle. So yeah. it's just learning to be with yourself and learning to sit with yourself and learning just to be and let thoughts pop up and acknowledge them but then just let them go and then come back to another thought and then you'll find the more you practice meditation and mindfulness there'll be bigger spaces between the thoughts the spaces will be, become bigger and that's if you ask me you know what meditation is and mindfulness is actually create space between a stimulus and a response so you have a stimulus like something stimulates you something fires you up you know something happens 
and then you have a reaction to that or response to that. And what meditation gives you is that space between, the space between things. So you have the, the choice to make a choice and, and to respond mindfully as opposed to react. And so meditation gives you that space between. And the more you do it, the bigger that space becomes. You can actually make an educated choice or a mindful choice in that space. And those spaces between your thoughts become bigger and, and wider. The spaces between your breaths. The space. If I was to write a book, it would be called something like The Space Between. Because that space between things is so powerful. And, and getting, getting a relationship in that space between it. So such a profound thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, mate. And I'm just thinking here that I think people are too hard on themselves. You know, I can't do this. I'm not good at it. You know, we're very quick to put ourselves down. Um, yeah. But it's like anything, you're not going to pick something up straight away. And the more work you put into something, the better you'll get. Now, I, I love that. And I just remember there's one other story I want you to share. And this is what we, when we caught up that coffee, you were saying, I don't know what country you're in, but you're in the back of a truck. This guy had a gun pointed to your back and you related it back to breathing. And I, I was sitting on the edge of my seat in this coffee shop. I can't remember what it was, but do you want to just share that? Because I think again, like when you shared that story on your bike and you know, um, the rest of the world was against you and a lot of people wouldn't have been able to get out of that, but you were able to through your breath. So can you share this one with me, buddy? Well, there's many stories similar to that along my travels. And and that's where I I come back to that trust, like having that inner trust, that deeper trust and really believing yourself. And I'd often resort back to, a few breaths just to make that mind. So this particular story that, that you're mentioning is was in Rwanda actually, um, traveling on the back of a truck in Rwanda, and um, it wasn't the best time to be there because at the time there was a, a lot of political unrest. Actually, the the it's still not a very good place to be. I don't think. No, 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 <laughs> but at the time there was even more. There was turmoil. There was a, a, a president was assassinated in the in the Congo at the time, and there was a lot of unrest, political unrest. So we're seeing a lot of horrible things on the side of the road to start with but um the way to get around there at the time was you know on the back of a ute on the back of a truck and then you know you, you pay a little bit of money and then someone else would jump on that truck and you keep going down the road and on this particular one it was um end of the day actually we just seen the gorillas up in rwanda oh, so, and how amazing yeah. are they mate is that that's still one of the best i did it in uh where did I do it in? I did it in uh, Uganda, which is all bordering obviously that's still one of the most amazing things i've ever seen Mm, yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the wildlife highlights of my of life. your life. Yeah, there you go. Sorry to cut you off, mate, but I just wanted to share I, that because unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. I agree totally. So I was um, yeah traveling on the back of the Ute or back of a truck um, at that time, and um, we're picking up people along the way. And slowly but surely, out of the bush, there was a couple of soldiers coming on, like uh, young soldiers coming on. They must have finished their shift or something. And before I knew it, the truck was full of about 15 soldiers and a few of us travellers and other people, the local villagers. And, and the soldiers, I could smell alcohol in their breath. And they were quite young, actually. And, and they, they weren't you know, intimidating me too much at first. But then I noticed one of them was, was being a bit cheeky and, and poking a, a machine gun in the side of my ribs. <laughs> yeah. And instead of having a little play with me, uh, I think just testing me out a little bit and you know, pushing it quite hard in there. And I looked at his machine gun and, and the others around, they had like sticky tape stuck around them. <laughs> Real safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, this guy's trying to have a go with me. And I'd learned all traveling through Africa and through other parts that a sense of humor goes a long way and patience, you know, two, two virtues that you know, serve me well through you know, crossing borders, for example, you know, very corrupt borders, but having patience is a good thing, a sense of humor. So 
So what I did is I, I had two choices basically, that going back to the fight and flight response was, I could turn around and fight, but I don't think my martial arts would do very well against the machine gun. Um, <laughs> it well. Or I, could, or I could take flight, I could jump off the truck and run in the bush, but I might get shot along the way or chased and uh, become prey in a way. So then I thought, okay, I've got to create some space here. So I, I did create that. So I did exactly, I tuned into my breath again. I took three or four really slow, mindful breaths and I didn't react, I didn't respond, I didn't give him any energy, I didn't provoke him. And about the third breath, I made up my mind to have a game, let's start playing a little bit here. Play, so I love it. Yeah, plays, that's what you're all about, obviously, exactly. So, so I started playing and I started playing with one of the other soldiers there in front of me. I started playing rock, paper, scissors, having some fun, good old classic game, it's universal. Rock, paper, scissors, started playing. And he was having a laugh and then the next person would join in and we're having a little laugh and they were playing together. And before I knew it, pretty much the whole truck was playing rock, paper, scissors on this journey. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But then I noticed that the machine gun in my ribs started releasing. I thought, ah, he's let go, actually. And I just still didn't turn around to give him any energy. And then I felt a little tap on my shoulder and I turned around to look at him and he was, he said, game, let's play like rock, paper, scissors. Oh, that's brilliant. Giving me the gestures and, and we started having a laugh and having a play and the whole you know, within five or ten minutes, the whole truck was laughing, having fun. So it just shows that you can turn things around pretty quickly with not giving it energy, not feeding any negativity or any fight. And that space, by just taking two or three breaths, is enough to make a mindful decision. Yeah. That's so powerful. And that could be translated in, in modern day life. And, you, know, you could be in a meeting, for example, a heated meeting. You know, things aren't going well and you, know, you might be having a bit of debate. Just take a couple of breaths just before reacting and responding. Just take a breath or two and just respond mindfully. So it's translated into you know, a lot of things that I do. Just create space between stimulus and response. And that's exactly what I did. Mate, I absolutely love that. And there's a couple of things that make me smile about. And I think everything you're talking about, these are stories that work in traveling, but they work particularly at the moment as well. Like there are going to be testing times throughout the day and just take that time to think. And also, like you just mentioned then, play is universal. So is fun, you know, and um, more so than ever when things aren't going well or you're having a bad day or things like that, go and do something fun, make a game up, you know, and particularly if you've got your family at home or your partner, I know my wife's getting sick of me making games up all the time, but um, do you know what I mean? Like that, that is a universal language, isn't it? Fun and play, Mellow. Absolutely. My youngest daughter loves games. She's always creating new games. So Love if it. I want to teach her math, it has to be a game. If I want to teach her things, it has to be a game. So it's the time now too. We've got more time and more space and more, more uh, we're together more. So why not create fun, create games out of things? And it's a big thing. And, and a lot of my work is about fun. I even make, you know, when I run seminars, it's not just a, a boring PowerPoint lecture. It's actually all interactive, lots of fun games, lots of fun activities. And that's how we learn things. Yeah. Mind, you know what? Mindfulness can be really boring, actually, to be honest. Mindfulness can be, when it's taught by, uh, like, you know, from a clinical point of view, it can be quite boring. And, uh, and I don't want to knock the academics that teach it, but really, I've got to make it fun as possible for myself and for the people around me. And that's yeah. where the lessons sit. That's where they stick. I get people up, get people moving, uh, get people having interaction together. And that's where people stick. And I might get, like, months later, someone you know, might meet me somewhere and say, hey, Mella, you know that thing you taught me? You know, back then some fun little exercise that stuck with them and they've shared that with their family, shared that with their friends. So that's where you know, fun and um, interaction is a great, is a great tool. 
Yeah, and I, I love that. And that's one thing I really resonate with you, mate, that um, you have got the studies behind you. You've got the academia, so you understand it. But you do it in a, a really fun, practical way that people understand. They can then implement it into their day-to-day life because we all know the benefits of it. But sometimes actually figuring out, all right, yeah, I know the benefits of it, but how does that work for me? So was that where sort of Mindful Moves was created, your business? Was it sort of created around your experiences of traveling, um, do you want to talk about sort of how that was born? Yeah, it was born through, through necessity. So I've always taught meditation in some way, shape or form, and I've often taught movement-based therapies also. So I, I work in mental health clinics where I run programs, and I found that movement was a big part to help people through depression and anxiety, especially with deep depression and you know, high anxiety. So the movement part is really important, and sometimes I might teach a move, but it's coordinated with the breath. So it helps people to access through their body to be present. And it might be a very simple move that helps them to connect. It might even be mindful walking, you know, connecting with their feet on the ground so they can actually feel, feel the ground and get out of their head a little bit. So that's where that mindful moves part came in. But over the years, it's evolved and um, it's constantly changing. And I like to adapt and change, you know, due to feedback that I hear from people. And it's become much more, you know, mindset and mindfulness and performance. So um, I help people. I help, like I said, I've got an Olympic athlete at the moment that's uh, doing some great work, and that's through mindset. She was strong, fit, healthy, but her mind wasn't as strong as her body. So I helped her to, to get a stronger mind and to be more resilient and to, to eliminate distractions, which is a big one in, in many sports. So uh, that's where that performance-based stuff was born. And like I said, it's constantly evolving, and I see the need for it. And and. Yeah, I work with CEOs, executives, very busy, fast-moving people. They don't know when to stop. They don't know when to pause. And these tools that, I, that I'm giving them are really simple tools, but it changes their life. Like one particular CEO that I work with, um, it took me about two months to get him not to sleep with his telephone by his bedside. So he'd wake up in the morning, the first thing he'd do is check his telephone, and he'd wake up in a reactive way. Like he said, I've got to check my company. I've got to make sure everything's okay. I said, do you really have to check at two o'clock? Uh, sorry, at six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I do have to check. I have to check. So after some time, it was a weaning process. We've got him to actually um, not have his telephone by his bedside. And he owns his morning. So he gets up in the morning. He goes for a walk. He you know, um, walks his dog, does his exercise. He has his breakfast. He has a shower. So he has like a two-hour holiday every single morning, he says. Like every morning I get up at six and I don't start work till eight and I have two hours to myself and I'm much more productive. I'm much more present with my employees. I'm much more present with my team. So that's where it's just evolved over time. I'm learning these skills and techniques to share in the modern world because I've I've been taught from an Eastern perspective in many ways. So I learned mindfulness and meditation. But when I was traveling, I was staying in monasteries, staying in Buddhist monasteries, living with monks, staying in, in temples in India and really immersing myself in the spiritual practice of meditation. And at the same time now, I work in mental health clinics, I work alongside psychologists and psychiatrists and clinical setting. And what I like to do is put it in the middle of those two. So I can't go into a corporate setting and start talking about chakras and meridians. And <laughs> so, I, so I try to make it accessible to them. And likewise, if I go to, you know, I might go to a yoga studio and teach mindfulness and meditation or something, and then I can speak that language. So my goal is to make it accessible and put it right in the middle so everybody can understand the language and, and break the skepticism around it. And um, so that's where it's evolved over time. And I'm you know, busy you know, meeting and greeting many clients, one-on-one clients, um, I have an online program. 
Uh, I do many corporate seminars, obviously now virtual, many of them. <laughs> adapting. Yeah, adapting exactly and being pliable and flexible. And I just absolutely love what I do. I love the mission and I love to share meditation with people and especially the skeptics. I love to, to, to get them over the line, to get them over. You know, meditation is not for me. I've tried it before, but then they try it my way and try to teach a, a simple technique. And, oh, wow, there's actually something in it. I feel good. And then, yeah. you know, achieving more with less stress. And then they realize, actually, no, there is something in this. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I love that as well, mate. And I know when we caught up, we were talking about hopefully doing something together in the future because I think we do that in different ways. You know, people are skeptics no matter what you do. I'll walk in and go rah, rah, rah and play these games and people go, oh, I don't do that. I don't have fun. But then after 10 minutes, you got them running around like a chicken or something. And it's probably the same, you know, what you're doing in sort of the breath and the mindfulness space around meditation that people are too quick to put up barriers and say, no, I don't do this. That's not the way we do it. Well, <laughs> you might need a change because life's so busy, so stressful. Are you really happy with who you are? And that's where you get the best results, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And get people out of their heads. If people are in their heads too much. There's just so much noise going on up there. And with, like you said, humour and things like that, just getting them out of their heads and bringing them into the body. Actually, if you ask me what I do on the most simplest fundamental front is actually I connect people's bodies, mind and breath. So I connect them with their body through movement, exercise and fun, and through their breath, they can actually access a deeper part of themselves and then their mind can drop into themselves and find some you know, deeper values and deeper trust and deeper belief system. That's essentially what I do. Most people are up in their head and there's so much noise going on, so busy, anxiety, you know, frustration, anger, all these things going on, and they're not connecting with themselves on a deeper level so what i do is connect bodies breath and minds simple isn't it right when you put it like that it is and i think we i think people like to overcomplicate things you know they'll they'll they complicate things they have meetings or they do things to justify things and then nothing gets done because it's too complicated and you get stressed and like i'm talking now i'm like i don't even know what i'm supposed to do from that and then the next thing comes around and i think that's our life in general isn't it Absolutely. And that, that, that's a good analogy for mindfulness too. I'll, I'll share the story when I was traveling. There's, um, I was staying in a particular monastery in Vietnam and it, it was actually a, a famous monk up there that teaches mindfulness. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was staying there. And that practice there was everything you do, you do mindfully. So when you're showering, when you're eating, when you're cooking, you do it with full mindfulness and full attention. Anyway, when I left that particular monastery, he gave me, the monk, head monk gave me there a um, four-page booklet four-page uh, scripture, like a little scripture, really simple, which outlined mindfulness. You know, when you're showering, just shower. When you're eating, just eat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So four simple pages. And I thought, this is great. This is fantastic. I took it home, put it in my backpack uh, and read it. And I thought, this, is, this just summarizes it perfectly. But then when I come back to Australia about eight years later, and I was working in one of the psychiatric clinics, um, one of the, the head psychiatrists there came to me and says, hey, I've just produced this new book you know, on mindfulness and depression and anxiety, et cetera fantastic i'll have a look and i picked it up it was 54 <laughs> chapters of this. <laughs> yeah it was just it just complicated what is essentially a simple yeah. practice it was this and obviously i read it and there's some great gems in there there's some great you know, concepts and things in there but sometimes we can really overcomplicate it and, and 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 mindfulness is a good example of that where some people think it's just too hard to practice i don't know there's so many rules to it and there's so many layers but you know what it's really simple Four pages is enough to summarize it. And if you can connect with your breath, you're practicing mindfulness. And guess what? Chances are you are already practicing mindfulness when you're doing the things that you love. 
yes. when you're doing your sports. When, when you're, you're in dancing, flow. You're, yeah, when you're in flow. And that's mindfulness. You're actually practicing it already. It's not like you have to you know, forcefully do it. When you're doing things you love doing, you're typically you know, fully present and fully engaged. And that's what it is. And with mindfulness, there's two main practices. One practice is the formal practice, they call it, where you have to stop and sit and you know, just be and just breathe. So that's where you might listen to an audio meditation or something for five or 10 minutes. So that's the classic meditation. That's called the formal practice, which trains your attention, trains you to be focused, and it trains your, your attention muscle basically, makes it stronger. But then there's what's called the non-formal practice, which is all those other 10,000 things that you do in the day. From the moment you wake up in the morning when you're having a shower, are you really in the shower? Are you in the shower saying, mm, I love this shower. <laughs> I love the smell of my lime and coconut shampoo this morning. It smells so good. <laughs> Well, are you, is your head already elsewhere? Are you already thinking about your day ahead? So you know, by bringing mindfulness to the shower or to your eating, eating is a perfect example. You know, eating just mindfully, just eating, not with your screen in front of you, not while you're on the computer, just eating. So we have all these opportunities through the day to practice mindfulness. Think about your day, showering, eating, walking, working, communicating, talking. They're all opportunities to practice mindfulness. So when you do them with your full attention, and in my eyes, it's equally important to do both. Do the formal training where you actually stop, you might stop in the morning and do a breath practice, but also engage in the things that you're doing more mindfully through the day. So it's, it's for free. It's, it's, just a, it's just something you can do every single day. And, and it trains your attention to be more focused because if you can't be focused in the shower, how are you going to be focused in your day? So, so true. And I'm just thinking here that um, I know when I eat, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about myself, and I... I always go for a walk in the morning and I see it with my dog and I don't take my phone now. And there's a reason because I don't want to be contactable. I don't want to have anything going on there. When I'm in the shower, obviously I am, I, I think that's my most creative time. So I actually really enjoy that. But when I eat, I'm always on my computer or on my phone. Do you find that a lot of people now are not mindful because of screens and it's absolutely. just a habit that we've got into? Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, talk about that a lot in, in the corporate space, obviously, because People work behind the computer. They think it's more productive. But really, the research says that if you eat in front of the computer, you get hungry 20 minutes later. And you, and you typically crave carbohydrate. You crave some sugar or some hit because you want that reward system. Because while you're on the computer and you're tapping away on your keys and you're eating at the same time, your brain hasn't registered that you've eaten. So you don't get that satisfaction. Ah. Uh, it's, it's, it's well researched. So. And really, is it really that productive, you know, writing that email or writing that thing while you're eating at the same time? Your, your mind cannot be on both. Yeah, and, we and can't multitask. You, no, we can't. And often you get to the end of the sandwich and you haven't even realised you finished the sandwich or whatever you're eating because you're, you're, you're too busy on the computer key and you, <laughs> you haven't even got the satisfaction of eating. So, and, and I often say, just stepping away from the computer for 10 minutes really only takes about 10 or 15 minutes to eat a meal. Like really, 10, at the most, 20 minutes. So stepping away from the computer for 20 minutes helps you reset, eat your food mindfully, taste the flavors, smell the aromas, and connect with the food. You'll feel more satisfied, and then you'll be more mindful when you go back to your computer and turn it on again and do it. So we try to multitask, but multitasking just does not. It's a myth. Basically. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. And I, people that say they can do a lot of things at once just means they're doing a lot of things not very well. And that's how I sort of look at it, Mello, you know, and particularly now, I think people are realizing, you know, locked in our houses and stuff. It's so important just to go outside, even just sitting outside and, and don't take your phone. Mm, yeah, yeah, just be, just go outside and just be for five minutes, just create space. And 
like I said before, you get creative in that space because we don't, we have no capacity if we're constantly filling up our mind with, you know, social media and checking our phone and ingesting all this stuff all day. There is no capacity or space to be creative. Yep. So often, yeah. often people get creative on the toilet. They come out of the toilet and they say, hey, "I just got this great idea." So actually just, <laughs> yeah, because you allowed yourself to. Yeah, you've allowed yourself to stop or in the shower, like you said, they get creative, creative space. So, you know, most people I talk to, they say they don't have enough time. They don't have not enough time in the day. But the first thing they do when they get time is pick up their phone and fill it up. Fill up yeah. their, their mind. We don't allow ourselves to be bored. That's the thing. Like, people don't know how to be bored anymore because the second that you have not got something on bang, you go to that safety blanket and you get your phone out. I talk about this all the time, like that people get scared when they don't have their phone and they've got nothing to do because we don't know what that feels like anymore. That's right. Exactly. And that's why of this, this time, you know, going back to this period right now is a time where people have to stop and some people have to actually introspect a little bit. Some people have to just slow down and not many people like that. They don't know themselves that well. And, and there's some trouble that's coming out of this. And I'm sure the mental health um, conversations we're going to have in about two months time are going to be very different to the ones right now right now it's fresh it's new and people are adapting and changing but you know, after two or three months these mental health conversations are going to be very different unless people adopt tools and techniques to actually you know, change and cope with that so, and, and mindfulness and meditation is, is fantastic for it obviously yeah I'm the ambassador of course so <laughs> mr mindful himself no <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, but i know i know from experience that you, you just need to create space and, and you need to get to know yourself a bit better and get to know how you operate on a deeper level because most people run on nervous energy and, and especially executives and CEOs and you know, high profile people, they just go, 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 responding, reacting all the time. And that's why they often get sick when they have a holiday because you know, they finally slow down and then they go on the aeroplane and they get sick on their holiday because they're running on nervous energy all the time. So it's time now to slow down, time to, to really introspect a little bit and build up that internal strength. Really, it's mm. about your internal capacity and train your attention to be more focused, train your attention to have clarity in the day, train your attention to be on, but also know when it's time to turn off. And that's the thing. Most people don't know how to turn off. Yeah. And, and turning off with a two-minute meditation or a 10-minute meditation is great. Yeah. I, I think that's very true. And I was just sitting here thinking, that's me every holiday, Mallow. I get sick. Um, and if any of my family are listening, are like going on holidays anymore because... <clears throat> the first week I am uh, not very good company, but then I come good. So I agree finding ways now and working at it. And it's something that I'm always going to battle with. And I'm sure the CEOs or people that are you know, constantly go, go, go. That's something they're always going to work at, but it's something I want to get better at as well. So I, if people are out there, there's a similar situation and you resonate with what Mello's saying, I can back that up or put my hand up straight away that that is me. So Mello, um, where can we find you, mate? You've got this awesome online course, um, got a great blog, got other resources. Where's the best place to find you, buddy? Yeah, I've got a couple of websites. Um, brand new website coming out now, actually, Mello Kalako, and I'm sure you probably put the, the link notes. Um, Mello like I won't spell it out for you, but I'm sure you'll write it. Oh, got and the it. Other one is, yeah, and the other one is Mindful Moves with a double O. Um, so that talks a bit about that. And I've got a great online course, which is a six-week online course, which um, helps people to initiate the practice, establish a practice. Really simple. Um, there's some great animations in there, which puts some, some quite complex concepts, and it makes it really simple. And that's my goal, is to make it so accessible, easy to learn, 
and it takes you step by step through the process. So after even a couple of weeks, you're starting to establish a practice. And after six weeks, you've learned some good mindfulness practice that you can keep for the rest of your life. That's Bang. a great resource. And obviously no, all, the social, obviously yeah, all yeah. the social media files, all the LinkedIn's and all the Facebooks and all the Instagram, it's a big part of that, obviously, but um, I don't think I don't get too consumed by it. But yeah, I'm on there too. You are. You. I think. I think you are a very good example of somebody that is on there, but it doesn't consume your life. And I think um, from everything you've mentioned today, mate, people will be able to you know really resonate with something you've said because it would hit home with them. I bet they do it. And I know just at the end there, seeing you, I'm like far out. That is me down to a teammate. So um, for me personally, Mallow, thanks so much for your time today coming on the show. I'll have links in the show notes for. Um, your new website which is awesome I've done a lot of looking over um, mindful moves the double uh, I've got that on there as well and your social links buddy but uh, yeah people if you want to reach out to Mellow you can go and do that on there um, but buddy yeah thanks so much for that today I, I love listening I think you're a fantastic storyteller and um, I think that's the best way to get messages across and uh, more so than ever now it is all about mindset and uh, I think you've given some people some really good points to really ponder on buddy Great. I'll leave, I'll leave you with this saying, this uh, Dalai okay. Lama saying, which I really like. Uh, just understanding that now the biggest gain of experience and knowledge comes from the most difficult situations. So now's the time to really learn about yourself, to really introspect. And most, most, cha- most good change comes from a challenge. So it is a challenging situation right now, and we need to change and adapt. So you know, please do something for yourself. Look after yourself. It's all about self-care right now. It's learning how to you know, be more mindful of yourself, but also with others and then support each other as much as you can at this time. Thanks a lot, Dale. Thank you. I really appreciate Yeah, I really appreciate having uh, me on and uh, meeting you and the, the crew. Um, great stuff. Mel, you're a champion. Thanks so much, mate. Cheers, buddy.